The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org. Shut
So um, it's about that time of year, especially in FFA. We're getting ready for CDE season, or I call it judging season. So it's where you get all the contests, like 
my favorite entomology wildlife. There's like 26 different ones that you can pick from, and then you try to become the best at it. Uh, but before we get started, a little fact. So I know last week was daylight savings time, but I wasn't speaking last time, but it, it's fine. It's fine. Um, daylight savings time was actually created by an entomologist. His name was George Hudson, and he actually did it because he wanted more time to look for bugs. Yeah, that's a little fact for you. So, as many of you know, along with being one of the entomology judges from Portalis, I'm also the coach because my ag teacher doesn't know much about bugs, but that's fine. Not many people do. Um, so my goal is I'm always trying to be on top. I'm always trying to be the best. I'm always trying to have that mental edge on the rest of my competition. And so I learned the cool – I have 110 insects I have to learn from. I have a list. And I'm trying to learn not just about those but about many other insects. And I think I learned about the coolest insect on the planet. And this is the common name. I'm not even joking. The diabolical ironclad beetle. Someone was a little extra. Now, while the name is very interesting in itself, the, uh, the bug has much more to offer. Uh, the coolest thing is, is this bug takes 150 newtons to crush. That must be a lot, because I didn't Google it. Um, I'm not even kidding. At the University of Irving, they drove over the bug with a car twice, and it survived both times. Now, the reason it can stand this is awesome. It comes down to the structure of the exoskeleton, that it, can, it takes the mass from the top and forces it off to the sides where the shell, so the body is like, it's like a turtle, so it doesn't get crushed. And I think it's so awesome. And so for the, those of you um, who don't know this, is also, it's elytra cannot open. For those of you who don't speak nerd, you know a ladybug, and you hold it, and you like blow on it, and those like the red part with the black spots open up? Yeah, that's the elytra. So there's your little bug fact for the day. Um, but the ironclad can't do that because over time, over millions and millions of years, they fuse together, which also keeps it from just splitting open and getting crushed. And that got me thinking, is my shell as tough as it can be? Can it bear the weight of hate and criticism, criticism on daily? Probably not. But you know who can? Jesus. Jesus has the toughest shell. He gets it worse than all of us combined. In John 15:18. If the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. No matter how much life is really beating on you, remember he took that and much, much more because he loves you and wants the best for us. Bow your heads. Our dear most gracious Holy Father, we come to you right now and we thank you for this day and we thank you for letting us all come together and worship you and honor you. Pray that through this week we take your name and be a beacon of light for you and for all of those around us. We pray you give us strength and compassion throughout the week and we pray that you give us good health in jesus name pray amen shakespeare charles dickens jk rowling <clears throat> disney c.s lewis brothers grimm jd salinger stephen king eminem Roald Dahl, all incredible storytellers. 
In fact, Roald Dahl was named, uh, he topped the list of 50 greatest storytellers of all time. He wrote uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach, and some of those great stories for kids. All of those are fantastic storytellers. My favorite storyteller, probably of all time, and now you know the rest of the story. Paul Harvey, the great Paul Harvey for decades would come on at noon and at 5.15 and he would tell you stories, but he would tell them in such a way that you, you're, just in, you're just drawn in. You're pulled in and you're engaged and you're, you're interactive because the story brought you into it. There's even a science behind that. Yuri Hansen is a professor at Princeton and in 2018 he did a study where he took some volunteers and they listened to a 15-minute story. It was a, a passionate, emotional story about a high school prom. And while they listened to it, their, their head was, electrodes were, were mapping their brain waves. Uh, it was called a functioning MRI. Now, many of you have done an MRI where you lay on the little, go in the big donut thing. And no, it's not that. It was, they, they're mapping while it's going on. And at the same time, they mapped the brain of the speaker. And afterwards, they, they did a test to see, you know, what you remembered of the story. And here was what was fun. The ones that scored the highest on retention, on story retention, their brain waves looked very, very similar, almost identical to the brain waves of the speaker. And this is critical. It demonstrates that the part of the reason we love stories, it has to do with their unique capability of, of transporting us, mentally transporting us into the world of the storyteller. Many of you that read books, you could just get lost in a book. Huh? You, just, you're just, you don't even know what's going on in the world. And the top listeners, I want you to hear this, the top listeners' brains mirror the mind of the storyteller. Even science says we love storytelling. We're calling this series Storyline. Jesus is the master storyteller, and we're going to look, as Franklin said, at the parables. Now, some of you might go, ah, oh, I've heard sermons about the parables. Yeah, you probably have, because a third of the synoptic gospels are parables. It's, it's a, one of Jesus' biggest teaching tools. You've probably heard dozens, if not hundreds, of sermons about the parables. But I want us to get that phrase from a minute ago there. We need to mirror the mind of the storyteller. We need to hear him tell the story and we need to listen in and tune in because the parables are, are a different section of Scripture. They're familiar, but I'm afraid sometimes maybe too familiar. Maybe we get too casual. Maybe you say, ah, I've heard these. James Boyce said this, some sections of the Bible give us grand theology. Some move us to grateful responses to God, but the parables ask us, if there has been any real difference in our lives. Now, we're probably not going to do the big dogs, uh, probably not going to do prodigal son, probably not going to do, well, we may do Grant, uh, Good Samaritan. We're going to look at some of those. We're going to look at some of the not-so-popular ones, too, because Jesus talked a lot about parables. And you might know a lot of what they are, but before we dive in, I want us to know what they aren't, what the parables aren't, because they're tricky things. They are comparisons. They're, they're similes. They are meant to disrupt our thinking. 
They were never meant to be just happy stories with a cute little moral. So here are a bunch of things that the, the parables are not. The parables are not fables. In, in parables, rabbits don't meet, or turtles don't meet, beat rabbits in races, you know, and animals don't talk, and there's a cute little moral at the end of the story, and we all go home happy. A lot of times there's a lot of questions at the end of the story. The parables are not allegories. I love allegories. I love Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia. I love Hind's Feet on High Places, Pilgrim's Progress. These are great allegories. But some people will get the parables and they will parsec them so deeply that, that I think they miss the point. I was reading one in preparation for this, was telling about uh, the prodigal son and how as... As the prodigal son, when he comes home, the dad puts the robe on him and he puts the ring on him. Well, the ring obviously represents baptism. And I was just like, what? Uh, It's not obvious to me. Uh, Maybe you're going a little too deep on some of those. And the story is there. And, And one is the stories are not real. Now, this is not yelling at you. This is yelling at me because I will tell you, I spend a lot of time looking at the stories going, what in the world? The one that gets me every time is the the story of the unmerciful servant. And he owes the king like $5 million. And as soon as you start reading it, my brain goes, what in the world did he do to run up that kind of bill? I mean, has he got a gambling problem? What is he buying on credit that he owes that much money? Huh? It's It's not a real story, Don. It's just... It's a point. There's a huge bill and a small bill, and we all owe huge bills. And what we need to know is that parables are not written to us. Most of the parables, nearly every single one of them, are spoken to the disciples. Now, frequently, they're spoken to a crowd, and the disciples are standing around there. But they're told to their culture, to their life. They are not spoken to us, but they are spoken for us. You hear me? And one other thing, you may not like this analogy, but I think the parables are a lot like hand grenades. Now, before you start throwing stuff at me, okay, let me explain this. Jesus takes them out. He doesn't, he he pulls the pin. He doesn't throw it. He sets the grenade. He steps back and he lets the story explode. And... If you miss the blast, you're going to miss the power of the parable. Because he's trying to blow up your concepts of religion. He's trying to blow up your concepts of salvation. What you had in your mind, he's trying to change. And I'll tell you something else that I think the parables are. I think the parables are often prophecies. Now, a lot of people don't look at them that way. But many of the parables speak about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is going to be like, well, it's a future telling, it's a prophetic laying out of how this is going to look. And we need to see that. We need to see the the big picture of all of these parables. Now, the people that heard these parables were often angered by them because they figured out right in the middle of the parable, he wasn't talking to them, he was talking about them. And they didn't like that. In fact, you'll hear real quickly after he starts telling parables that the scribes and the Pharisees, we got to get rid of this guy. We don't like him and his teaching at all. Well, you might be sitting there, why would Jesus use them? Why would, why would he speak in parables 
if we didn't understand them. If you'll join me in Matthew chapter 13, that's where we're going to be today. If you're online or on the radio, join us in Matthew chapter 13. But I'm going to get you to join me in the middle of the story. We're going to go back and read the beginning and the end, but I want to get right in the middle to start. This is kind of weird, but if you'll stick with me, because parables, they can simultaneously reveal and hide. So I want you to see the why before we get into all of these parables. We're going to start right in the middle in about verse 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. This is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they've closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. He tells the why right here, because... In one world, in their world, this is a, a parable makes known the, the kingdom and, and what God is trying to do. But in another world, it's just a cute story, and they didn't get it. So you might be saying, well, then, was Jesus trying to hide himself? Was he trying to hide his identity? No, not at all. He was making it very clear, speaking to a Jewish culture, if they would listen But many weren't listening. And the reason I want us to look at it is this. Because how we respond to the parables, our response to these parables, it's going to reveal a lot about our hearts. You see, we can look at them, and they weren't written specifically to us, but they were written for us. And how we respond, it's going to show a lot about our heart. He says very clearly here, these people's hearts have been hardened they weren't listening you may not know this and you may find this weird but the jews didn't evangelize they weren't big on evangelism they didn't think it was a big deal because they they had their status and they considered their status a, a, a perk of being a jew that hey we're in the cool kids club and we don't have to and if you want to be in, now you, they would let people in, but you've got to do this, you've got to get circumcised, you've got to go through all the rigmarole. But, hey, we're in. We don't have to recruit. We just grow our own group. And one of the things that I think we need to get out of this is that elitism is not going to work in being a Christ follower. We cannot be, well, we got it figured out, and those people don't have it figured out. It's just not going to work to be a Christ follower. The real question is, are you willing to listen? 
Now, in this first parable, the parable of the sower, which is what we're going to look at in Matthew 13, it is the key to all the parables. It explains the, nat- the nature of, of preaching, of evangelism. It, it, it points us how to listen. So I'm going to ask you to join me back at the top of chapter 13 and verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. If you're a highlighter, look at that last line right there in verse 9. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, one of the things you need to understand is where this story starts. This story shows up right after the who is my mother speech. Look back up at the end of verse chapter 12. Chapter 12, Jesus is hanging out with his people and there's a big crowd. And in the crowd, he says, uh, uh, somebody says, hey, Jesus, your brother and your sister, your family are out there. And he says, hey, my family, my brother and my sisters are the ones that do the will of my Father. One of the greatest challenges in Christianity is determining the difference between a crowd and a church. Okay? You hear me? Okay. A crowd is a bunch of people. A church is a bunch of followers. And even Jesus had that difficulty. There is a bunch of crowd around him. He, he, he had to get out in a boat. Did you hear that? He was talking. That was his pulpit was out in a boat. And the people were up on the, on the hillside like a natural amphitheater. And so he would project his voice out there. And these crowds were drawn to him. And he draws them in with a story about a man sowing seed. Now... I doubt that they thought he was giving them the daily farm report. Okay? If you really want the farm report, if you'll tune in to KSL uh, 105.9, somewhere around 5.30 or 6 every morning, they'll give you the farm report. I don't think that's what they were looking for. I don't think that's what Jesus was doing. You know what I really think he did? I think he pulled up a chair. I think he got a chip and he double dipped in the hummus because they're Jewish. All right? All right, all right. And he said, y'all want to know what my family's like? You know what it's, you want to know what it's really like to be a part of my family? Here, I'll tell you. Because it's in the context of who are my mother and my brothers? And who are my family? We actually get to see the explanation of this parable. Some of them we don't. He just kind of drops the grenade and walks away and we kind of go, oh, okay, how is that one going to apply? And in this one he quotes Isaiah. Again, when he's quoting these Old Testament passages, these are Jews and the, the Pharisees that have memorized these passages. And when he says that, he's pointing a finger at the, 
the, the Jewish hierarchy, the elites, and saying their heart has grown dull. It's not that you don't have ears. It's that you're not utilizing the ears. And I'll tell you one of the things that we may have misread in the past about this particular parable. I think we think we are the sower. I'll, I'll be honest, I've used this one, this passage uh, to talk about evangelism. You know, we got to be out there sowing and we got to be planting because uh, that's what we're about. But, but here's the big point. We're not the, we're not the, the sower. We're the dirt. We are the, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a pile of dirt. You're a dirty pile of dirt right there. You, you big old pile of, I gave you the permission to do that, you know? You see, they had eyes and ears that worked, but they weren't using them. They weren't being utilized. And I hope we're getting that. That if we're listening, his story is being planted in us and we're growing. Now, one other thing. The farmer scattered seed, and he scattered it liberally. He threw it everywhere. And I wondered why wouldn't he go along and plant it? correctly do it intentionally plant it where he knew it would grow i think it's because he wants as much in the kingdom as possible he spreads it out everywhere it can possibly be and too often we make this about our evangelism and who have we talked to and they won't listen and we got to remember that he was the sower first he is the one that is planting and he he doesn't care where it goes He wants everybody to get it. But I want us to look at the soils and look at the explanation. And the first one is the hard soil, a rejecting heart. Jump down to verse 18 with me, if you would. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Let's be honest. Some people have hearts that are a lot like asphalt or concrete or whatever metaphor you want to use in there. Nothing's going to penetrate them and they don't want to change. Can I tell you something about this part right here? This is preaching 101. This is the easy sermon right here. Just to stand up here and say, that big bad world out there is not listening. God is spreading seed and they're not listening because they got a hard heart. But question, to whom is Jesus speaking? Now go back to this. Go back to the bit about his mother and brothers. He is in a boat and he is speaking up a hillside to a bunch of people that are following him. Followers, true? Now, maybe I'm parsecing it too much, but... I think he's talking to church folk. I think he is talking to people that are trying to listen to him and trying to grow. He is not talking about the big bad world. He's talking to us. Which leads to another question. Can you have a hard heart and still be in church? And the answer you're looking for is yes. Too many times we come in and we are we already have all the answers. Uh, Don, just do your little preaching thing. I know. I got, I got to be here for 90 minutes. Just get it done. I don't need to learn anything. I learned it a long time ago. I was baptized when I was a kid. I, I don't need any of this. I just need to be here. That's a hard heart. Or I don't, 
I don't like this, or I'm not, I'm not willing to read this. I'm not willing to put in this into practice. I hear it, but I have my life, Don. This is my Sunday morning life. Don't bother me on Monday through Saturday. You hear me? See, that's a hard heart. And a hard heart can keep you from seeing a spiritual truth that He might have for you. Which leads us to a question. If we're dirt, is this the kind of dirt you are? Are you the hard soil? He goes on, the next one is the shallow soil. And it's a, what I would call a superficial heart. Look down at verse 20. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. Now stop there for a second. Doesn't that sound like what we want? We want people to hear the message. Oh man, that is great. And receive it with joy and receive it with excitement. But friends, enthusiasm can both reveal and conceal. Faith, real faith, takes time to grow. Look at what he says in verse 21. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's Word. You see, the key here is there's no root. They're, and even I love that it says they're persecuted for believing God's Word. Now, I, this may come as a shock to you, but there are social issues out there that don't get along with God's Word. Is that a fair statement? Okay. <laughs> there are social things that are going on in our world that God does not agree with and does not ordain. And somebody that is, comes in and is excited, and maybe you have, you have dirt and you're listening and you like the music and these songs are powerful and the message is, is challenging you, and, but then you go and you see your friends and, and they're talking about social issues and, and, and they start using phrases like, what's the big deal, Don? You hear me? It's not that big of a deal. We're not causing any, we're not hurting anybody. It's no big deal. And you start looking at them, yeah, it's not that big a deal. What's the big deal? You hear where I'm going with this? It is easy to not have roots. I love this quote from my friend Nathan Teeters. He said, everybody wants to do something exciting for God. Rarely do we want to change for God. God, I'm willing to listen to you. I'm willing to put your word in a place of authority, the place of authority in my life. You see, we see a lot of fans. We see a lot of crowd are we seeing followers? Are we seeing the church? And here comes another one. Is this type of soil you? Are you this kind that, well, I got a little of it, but I don't do a lot of it. Or maybe you're the third kind. He says is the thorny soil. I call it the unfruitful heart. Look down in verse 22. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth so no fruit is produced. Do you realize fruit is it's one of the most consistent teachings in all of Scripture? Now, they were very agricultural. The, the culture was very much about farming. and, and that, so, so he was speaking their language. But the issue is the fruit is expected. And a lot, of them, a lot of people will look at this third one and say, well, it got choked out. But really, the issue here is not the choked out. It's no fruit is produced. 
It appears to hear the word, but nothing is showing for it. Do you realize that Jesus never says, go do a lot of good things and you'll get saved. But he says and shows throughout throughout Scripture that when you are saved, your body, your life will show good things. There will be good fruits, how you treat people, how you, how you act, how you are calm. The fruit is obedience. And I'll see people that will say, yeah, Don, I, I'm with you. I like that. And I'm going to follow Jesus just as soon as I get my sports done. As soon as I get my business going, okay. As soon as I get my kids raised, everything's okay. As soon as I, as soon as I get my 401k back up where it needs to be and, and we get everything sorted out, yeah, then you're right. I'm going to obey and I'm going to put him first and everything. That's where it says it was choked out. Let me ask you this. Has anybody ever felt overwhelmed by our world? I bet a bunch of hands go up on that. Choked out. The lure of money, he's very specific here. The lure of money can, the lure of job, the lure of prosperity and popularity. Folks, when we put our focus on this world stuff, it is soul killing. We just got through with this series on the Psalms of Ascent. Set your eyes to Zion. Put your eyes, put your, put your directive, put your true north on the presence of God. That's where you're going to find hope. So, are you this soil? Yeah, Don, I like it, but there's just so much going on in my world that I get choked out. But finally, he gets to the good soil. The good soil is the, the power of God's Word in an obedient heart. Hearts that are ready to hear, that are listening for the application. But do you know here, I want you to look real close for a second at the metaphor here. Do we see where the power is? The power is not in the dirt. The power is in the seed. And it says the seed will multiply 30, 60, 100 fold. And a lot of people jump right to that 30, 60, 100 thing because they like that. And they say, see, God wants you rich. God wants you powerful. God wants you impactful. Well, he wants us impactful. And we miss the point. It's the soil that receives the word and the word comes alive. And the word spreads is what the word is doing in our lives because they hear it and they understand it. This was never meant to be about how much money we make. Letting the Word grow in us, when we're, when we're letting that Word grow, then that story will come out of us, and we'll be able to tell more people, and we'll be able to impact more people. Not about our riches. That, that 30, 60, 100-fold has always been about His kingdom. The soil will produce a harvest. We're not the sower, we're the dirt. We are the dirt. And the parables ask us, has there been a change in us? Has there been a change in what we're doing? Which leads us to tough questions. I'm not even going to put the tough question slide up there. You know what it means. Are we going to have the guts to look in the mirror and see if we're really being the the Christ follower that he wants us to be. So here are some tough ones. Number one, 
Is your heart willing to grow His Word? I didn't ask, are you going to church? Are you willing to allow His Word to grow in you? To let Him impact you? Let Him change you and let others see that change? Another one, are your habits working to cultivate your soil? Now, I get it. A lot of us come in here, and I've used this metaphor a lot. We come in here hard-packed and beaten down by the world. You know what I mean? Stepped on and dry. and But we come in here, and, and Franklin and the team, they come in, and, and the worship is powerful, and it starts to break up that hard ground. And then we get in here, and Cody challenges us to, to think differently and turns that soil up, upside down. And it's ready to plant God's Word in there. But are you willing to listen to the Word? Are you willing to take that Word and do something with it? Let me ask you this. Is there a desire in your heart to tell about what's going on in your walk with the Lord? See, that's a big indicator of if the seed is growing in here. If you have a desire to tell somebody. Now, I didn't ask you if you've invited anybody to church. Which I'm a big fan of. If you, I, I would, I'm thrilled if you do that. All right, I, I'm a big fan. Okay, but are you, are you excited to tell people what God is doing in your heart? See, I love meeting people. Can I just tell you what's going on, man? This is what God did to me. I just, I get fired up when I see people and hear people like that. Are we those people? Is that the soil that's going on in us? Because, friends, preaching is not the only ministry we need. Ministry can be testimony. It, it needs to be testimony. That's why we be disciples and make disciples. We've used that phrase a lot. We're a Bible-believing church and a Bible-using church. We use these phrases to remind us our job is not to get in here on Sunday. Our job is to get out there Monday through Saturday and to talk to people about it and to let His Word grow in us. And man, I'm so excited. I can't wait to tell people. You see, the church was meant to be the soil where He grows. That was always plan A. There never was a plan B. That's plan A. You take this good news, this gospel, and you go tell people about it and make a difference. You see, stories, they engage us. They pull us in and they remind us of our part in his story. That's why he was such a great storyteller. And that's why these parables tell so many great truths. Even as we, we're going to do this all the way up through the holidays to look at these stories through Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and seeing the advent, the coming of the new king to remind us of our part. I love stories. I've always loved stories. Uh, I, that's why I'm not very good at jokes. I can't ever remember the punchline. Anybody? And I forget the punchline. But stories, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that story. And it, and it moves me. A story I read this week uh, about a guy named Jacob. He was a large African-American man. It was a couple of years ago. He was coming out of COVID. And he said he, he'd been in, inside because he, he had a knee surgery and he couldn't get out. And, of course, the masks and all of this stuff. And so he'd just been inside and he was just getting cabin fever. He just wanted to get out for a little while. 
And he got out for a little while. He went to, I just want to get something to eat. Goes to McDonald's. Not his favorite place, but he goes to McDonald's. Goes to the drive-up, orders a cup of coffee, orders a, you know, a Happy Meal or Big Mac or whatever it is. He orders a meal. Then he pulls around. Pulls around to the window. And the young man, is a high school student age maybe, that was taking his money, gives him his money, and he reaches out the window with his coffee and his sleeve pulls up. And that's where he notices the cuts on his wrist. And he immediately recognizes it as signs of self-harm. It's something that we, we call cutting. It's people that are dealing with depression and dealing with struggle so much, they just want to feel something. And so they, they cut on themselves. Self-harm is, a, is a, a struggle in our culture. As soon as he sees those, he, he turned away and started crying because he had similar cuts on his wrist. It was a battle he had dealt with. And he was just overwhelmed just seeing this young man in the window of McDonald's. And he was crying. And, and a, a minute or two later, the young man opened the window again and reached to hand him his sack. And he noticed this big man crying. And he said, sir, are you okay? And this is what Jacob said back to him. I wrote it down so I got it right. He said, I'll be okay if you'll just promise me that you'll keep fighting. I can see that your peace has been drained and your happiness has been stolen. But young man, God has joy for you. Joy that can never be taken away. You're valuable and you're worth something. And don't let anybody take that away from you. And he smiled and he, and he pulled away. In fact, he pulled into the parking lot and he just kind of sat there, put it in park and kind of composed himself. And he was like, that was weird. That was all emotional. And he got his Big Mac out and got some salt for his fries. And just about two minutes later, the young man comes running out of McDonald's and knocking on his window. Rolls down his window and he says, sir, I know this is weird, but can you pray for me? And Jacob sat there and talked to him and they met, they had a, they set up a time to meet the next day and they met and they studied and Jacob led him to the Lord. And the next week he went to meet his family, meet the young boy's family and he led his parents to the Lord. Now, you might be sitting there wondering, what in the world does this have to do with anything? You see, the story of Christ is what he is doing in your life. And if you are letting His Word grow in you, then, then His story is going to come out. And you're going to be... Paul tells Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Be, be ready to talk about Him. Because there's going to be times when a young man is going to stick his hand out the window of McDonald's. And he needs the Lord. And that's what He's calling you and me to do. The storyline of Jesus' stories is to get the story of Jesus in you and me. This is my testimony from death to life. His grace rewrote my story, I'll testify. By Jesus Christ, the righteous, I'm justified. Friends, if you will let His story plant in you, your testimony will come out of you. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. 
Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.